Good morning, Cornerstone. We are filming today from beautiful Red Rocks Park in Morrison, Colorado. It's known for its incredible music venue, the Red Rocks Amphitheater, but also for the reddish colors uh, in the rock formations and also in the soil, thus the name Red Rocks, right? These incredible rock formations run for about 24 miles along the Front Range Mountains, beginning in Boulder with the amazing Flatirons through the area of the city of Golden and all the way down to Red Rocks Park uh, where we're at right now. They were molded and shaped by prolonged and powerful seismic uh, geologic uplifts. And only God knows how long ago that was. Uh, and it all comes from a fault that is named the Golden Fault. Yep, Cornerstone sits right on this fault, which also means that most of you who attend Cornerstone live right on the fault as well. And if you're from California earthquake land like I am, then you're already beginning to look around and figure out what you're gonna do when the ground starts shaking. But not to worry, because this baby hasn't shake, shaken for about uh, for several thousand years now. Most of the rock formations here uh, are red sandstone, and a lot of the ground around here turns to this red rust color as the rocks decompose over time and turn into dust. I'm here today at Red Rocks because I'm going to be talking a lot about uh, dust, the dust of the ground, uh, that, and man, and Adam, and the color red, and even red blood, because all these words come from the same ancient Hebrew root, and there's an important reason why they're all connected to each other. So let's just jump right into Genesis chapter 2 and discover the reason why. Genesis chapter 2 gives us a second version of the creation story. The first creation story, of course, is found in Genesis 1, and it's all about God's power and creativity in, in forming uh, the universe, and it's totally absent of anything personal about God. We're simply told that God speaks the universe into an existence and creating light and darkness, day and evening, the cosmos, the earth, and then everything that's found in the earth. It's pretty structured, linear, matter-of-fact creation account. But the second creation story in Genesis 2 uh, now reveals a very personal God who's intimately connected to and concerned about his creation. Remember last week, Brian talked about the Hebrew word tov, which in English is translated into good. And he gave an awesome message about how God create, when God created this world, he didn't create a perfect world. He created a good world. When God stepped back and looked at all he had created, he said, vire Elohim kitov, and God saw that it was good. And Bryant so eloquently told us that perfection leaves no room for failure or growth and grace, while good anticipates all those things. And mankind will need this foundation of good rather than perfect when we get to this second creation story in Genesis 2, because now the focus is going to be on relationships, which are not going to be easy to maintain. Everything is good in Genesis 1, but the first time that we hear that something is not good, do you know where it's found? It's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. After God forms Adam out of the ground, he says, it is not good for man to be alone. And from this point on, relationships are going to be an essential part of the human experience. And if you're familiar with this creation account, 
after declaring that it's not good for man to be alone, God doesn't immediately create uh, a, com a compatible partner for Adam. Instead, he first asks Adam to start naming all the animals. And so as God brings all the male and female animals to Adam to be named, Adam probably says something like, heck, I don't know. Let's go with hippopotamus. That sounds good. Okay, wow, this one's really weird. How about giraffe? Oh, this one is really cute. Orangutan, okay? And at some point in the naming process, Adam had to start noticing that all the animals had counterparts, but there was no counterpart for him. And it's only after all the animals are named that God causes Adam to fall into a deep sleep and then he fashions Chava, which is Eve's real Hebrew name. It means living. He fashions Chava out of Adam's side. And when Adam wakes up, he sees this beautiful, and I might add, naked woman standing in front of him. And he says, wow, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh, which in Hebrew translates to something like Chaba, Chaba, Chaba. And this bone... Um, this, and Adam, as he's all goo-goo eyes over Eve, I can just imagine God standing off to the distance, watching this whole scene, kind of sheepishly grinning off, uh, thinking, thinking to himself, you guys have absolutely no idea how difficult and complex this relationship thing is going to be. Can I get an amen from all you experienced relationship people? I've officiated hundreds of weddings uh, over my pastoral career. And when I meet a couple to talk about their relationship, I always ask them, how you been doing relationally? And it always raises a huge flag, huge flag for me when they answer like, we're doing great. We get along perfectly. We've never even had one single argument. And that's when I usually say, so you're saying you're not human. I should tell you right now, I only marry humans. <laughs> now, remember, everything about creation was good, not perfect. And so it doesn't take very long before the relationship wheels come flying off between Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve. We discover in Genesis, we discover that in Genesis 3. Okay, but I want to dig a little deeper into this second creation story in Genesis chapter 2 to the time when God actually forms, forms the first man and it's found in verse 7, because there's something really important to learn here about what God planned for the human experience here on earth. Here's what verse 7 says. <clears throat> it says, Then the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now, the visual that's typically created in our minds here is that God scoops up a huge handful of dirt and forms it into the shape of a human being, breathes his breath into its nostrils, and then it comes to life. But the Hebrew word in this sentence for living being is che nefesh, and that literally translates into English as a living soul, not a living being, okay? Che means living Nefesh means soul, and since most Jewish and Christian theologians believe the human soul is eternal, meaning that it never dies, it lives on forever, this divine breath transaction between God and a piece of dirt is an important detail to point out. And the reason will make more sense in a few minutes. 
later on in this message. Let's break down this passage a little bit more. The Hebrew word for man in this sentence is Adam, which will also become his given name as well, Adam. In English, we say Adam, right? The Hebrew word for ground in this sentence is Adama. You can hear how these two words are related to each other. Adam, Adama. And then describing this in Hebrew would sound something like this. Ha-Adam, Adam, Itzer, Me, Ha-Adama. The man Adam was formed from the ground. And so it's an important connection to make here. And the connection is this, is that we humans are intimately connected to the soil. At least our bodies are. But what makes this creation story really interesting is what part of the soil that we're connected to. Because if you look closely back at Genesis 2-7, you'll see that we're told that God formed Adam out of the dust of the Adama. The dust of the Adama. Here's some dust here. Sitting on top of this trail. And this is the part where you should start leaning forward in your chairs because maybe you've never stopped to think about this curious detail before. He made Adam from the dust of the ground. Maybe when you've read this story in the past, you, you kind of imagined God scooping up some thick, rich, moist clay like uh, clay like soil, like a potter would use to make a clay pot. But that's not how this went down. Not at all. When God made Adam, he used a handful of dry dust that's found on the surface of the soil. Dust! I mean, who uses dust to make anything? When's the last time you went to a dust art exhibit? When's the last time you went online and purchased some dust, right? Amazon sells over 12 million products, but not one of those products is dust. They sell dust masks, and they sell dust pans, and they sell dust mops, and they sell dust air filters, but they don't sell dust. All of these products help us get rid of dust because dust is mostly a huge nuisance for us. Did you read about that massive historic dust cloud named Godzilla that covered, uh, traveled, traveled all the way from the Sahara Desert and covered much of the eastern half of the United States from the south to the north last week? Not just once, but twice. And this dust cloud was so big that it could have covered the entire United States and then some. Is that crazy or what? A dust cloud from the Sahara Desert came to the United States. Dust is created when any solid substance begins to dis disintegrate or decompose. Whether it's the red rocks here at Red Rocks Park or soil anywhere or wood or animals or plants, really anything. These tiny dust particles mix with moving air and they're carried from one place to another, especially onto to the furniture and floors of our home, which is why if you don't dust occasionally, dust is going to continue to accumulate. I mean, entire ancient ruins can become buried when dirt and rubble eventually disintegrates enough to accumulate dust and it covers the entire ancient city. Dust is always floating around in the air, which is why so many of us struggle with allergies, um, 
different times of the year. And with the exception of assisting rainfall and providing spectacular sunsets, dust is useless and even harmful sometimes. So why on earth did God use this dried up, degenerating top layer of soil to form the first man? Well, I'm so glad you asked this question, okay? Listen to this, Ecclesiastes 3.20 says, we, we all come from dust and we will all eventually return to dust. Several other Bible passages say, say the same thing. Did you know that when a devout Jewish person dies, they, are, they must be buried in the ground within 24 hours. Their bodies are not to be embalmed. And in some regions of the world, like Israel, they don't even use coffins. They just use some burial cloth. Why? Well, part of the reason for burying Jewish bodies this way is to get these bodies into the ground in such a way that they will return to dust as soon as possible. To dust they came and to dust they will return. And so devout Jews will do nothing to hinder that process. In 1977, the band Kansas released what would be their greatest hit song called Dust in the Wind. And that song was written by lead guitarist Kerry uh, Livgren. And while on tour, Kerry started to become curious about a relationship with God, and I'm sure this song reflected his early Bible readings. By 1980, Kerry had become a fully devoted follower of Jesus. And I want to sing this song to you, especially because we're here at Red Rocks in one of the most famous music venues. I can't not, not sing a double negative. I cannot not sing a song at Red Rocks Park. But also because, believe it or not, Kansas was actually scheduled to have a concert here in just two weeks, but that concert's been postponed due to COVID-19. And I didn't know, when I first decided to do the song, I didn't know any of this stuff about Kansas being here. And it makes it really cool little divine connection. So let me grab my guitar. See if we can pull this off. You probably never thought you'd hear this song played at church, but you are. I close my eyes Only for a moment Then the moment's gone All my dreams Pass before my eyes In curiosity dust in the wind all we are is dust in the wind same old song just a drop of water in an endless sea all we Crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Dust in the wind. All we are is dust in the wind. 
dust in the wind All we are is dust in the wind Don't hang on Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky it slips away And all your money won't another minute buy Dust in the wind All we are is dust in the wind Dust in the wind All we are is dust in the wind By the way, I sang the song Woodstock during my last sermon. I ended up getting many messages from people, I mean a lot, saying... How do I get that song out of my head? Well, that should no longer be a problem, problem for anyone today. Okay, you got a new song. All we are is dust in the wind. Is that true? Well, it is true. At least it's true for these temporal body of ours. No one gets out of this life alive. Have you thought about that? You can't get out of this life alive. And one day, you are gonna take your last breath. That breath that God gave you, you're gonna take the last one someday in the future, and then your body is going to die. And then it will eventually, even if you put it in a coffin, eventually it's going to decompose back into dust. And when your body dies, your soul is going to leave your body, and it's going to go on to live forever. What's the deep lesson to be learned from all of this? That the investments that we make in life, with all of our time and our energy and our resources should be made in eternal things that will last forever, not in finite things that are destined to rot away and become dust. Jesus said it this way. This is Matthew chapter 6, verses 28 through 33. He says, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? or What shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. That's the word uh, the Hebrew of this would be zedekah, which really translates more to justice, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to do this. Have you ever had to try and pry somebody's fist open? Hopefully, you've never been in a situation where you had to do that, but it's almost impossible to do. In fact, try it on yourself. Just where, right where you're at, just grab, just take one of your, your hands and put it into a tight fist as tight as you can, and then take your other hand and try and pry it open. Now, you might be able to get maybe one digit open. Uh, it's pretty hard though, right? 
but as soon as you try, you, you get one digit open, you can close it and try to get the next one. You can close the other digit. So imagine, imagine walking around with your fists clenched all the time. How long would it take before, like, like both of your fists just clenched really tight? Do that and feel the amount of energy that it takes. How long would it take before you run out of that energy? How long before you have to top out from fatigue? And you know, many of us live our lives here on earth just like this, trying to keep a tight hold on those finite things that are only going to turn to dust in the wind. Finite things like our possessions and our careers and our money and our bodies, just to name a few. And spending our lives trying to hang out onto these finite things will, that are only going to turn to dust is not a sustainable way to live life. Jesus says, don't live with your fists tightly clenched around all those finite things. Instead, relax your grip on those things. Focus on investing on his kingdom and his righteousness on eternal things. And then all those finite things will naturally flow to you. And what are those eternal things that are part of God's kingdom and his, his righteousness? The eternal souls of humanity. Those are the only things that are going to make it into eternity. The souls of your family, the souls of your friends, the souls of your coworkers, your teachers, your fellow students, your neighbors, all the foreigners, people both close and far away, even those considered to be your enemies. Those are all eternal souls. For the sake of all those souls, including your own soul, be a human flourishing activist. Leave this planet a little better than you found it. Help others find faith in God. Fight against injustice wherever you see it and continue to grow in the best possible version of a human being that you can become. The lesson of why God formed Adam out of the dust of the Adama is to give us an ever constant reminder that a precious soul is the only part of us that's going to last forever. And this, in nourishing a soul, is our most deepest and strategic investments that we can make. The creation story in Genesis 2 gives us the beginning of human relationships. It lays a foundation for our human experience. It is not good for us to be alone. We're built for relationships. We're built to care for each other's souls because the soul is the only part of us that'll live forever. So we're gonna end by taking communion together. And uh, of course, communion is an observance that helps us remember what Jesus' broken body and shed blood does for our sins, for all our imperfections, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, God sacrificed an animal, not just to cover their naked bodies, now that shame had entered the world, but to provide atonement for sins. When God gave the Torah to Moses later on, ritual animal blood sacrifice provided that atonement. The, the word says, without the sacrifice, without a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice, there can be no forgiveness for sins. And so when Jesus went to the cross for us, he, his shed blood became the ultimate atonement fulfillment through faith in what Jesus had done for us. Uh, all of our shortcomings and failures are covered by his blood. His red blood, I might add, 
So listen, let's just go on. We have the word of the name Adam, Adam. We have the word for soil, Adama. Well, guess what? The word for red in Hebrew is Adom, and the word for blood is Dom. Hear how they're all related? Adam, Adama, Adom, Dom. They're all connected to each other. Jesus sacrificed his life for us so that we don't have to keep our fists tightly clenched and that we can be set free to seek his kingdom, his zedekah, his righteousness, his justice, the blood, the lifeblood in us is so important to living and it's connected to our bodies. And that's why we see Jesus shedding his blood. It's so important that he gave up his life for us. It was an exchange, his life for our freedom. And so go ahead and grab, if you have um, some grape juice or wine and you have some matzah or bread, or really, if you don't have any of those things, you know, milk and graham crackers is great. Um, it's not the details of the ritual that's important. It's the meaning of the ritual. This is what sets us free. His broken body and his shed blood. This is what allows us to live in this life, set free from pursuing those things in life that are just going to rot. This is what allows us to care for a human soul on behalf of God. This is liberty right here. Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do it in remembrance of me. Let's eat this together. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant I'm making for you, the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do this in remembrance of me. Lord, I, I thank you for our souls, this eternal part of us that lives on forever. And we know there's a battle that rages on between our souls and our bodies. Our bodies has so many needs and it often leads us astray. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much that you atone for all these things in our life. Thank you for making a world that's good, not perfect, and for setting us free to live a life unhindered by worry and fear and pride. May we live for you. We pray this in Jesus' name.